You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church, or good afternoon, or good night. <laughs> Whenever you're watching or listening to this, I am so grateful to be with you. And we're in a, a study on the book of Nehemiah called The Second Act. And the book of Nehemiah, Ezra Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is all about how God rebuilds and renews his people after a season of devastation. I can't think of anything more relevant for us to be studying and learning from because we can talk about the pandemic and uh, the polarization of politics and uh, the racial strife and and difficulty that's gone on in our country and uh, churches fighting over things and all those, these are, none of these things are new. Let me say that again. None of these things are new. There's nothing new under the sun. Mankind left to our own devices, humanity, always ends up in the same places, the same pits. And we see the same cycles of devastation. And this happened in Nehemiah's time. It happened to the Jewish people. And that should give us some comfort because if we respond when that during that time of devastation and we go through the door that God opens for us, we can experience renewal. If we don't go through that door, then devastation leads to total destruction. Um, Not because that's what God wants, but that's what we choose when we choose to not walk hand in hand with God and and how he made us and what he made us for. And so Nehemiah uh, sees the devastation uh, in Jerusalem. Israel was, again, supposed to be a lighthouse. Let's remember this. And the goal of Israel was not to be God's people as a special club and everybody else was terrible and unloved by God. Israel was meant to be a the uh, embodiment of God's goodness that was shared with the whole world. So the people of God were given this task to be a light to the nations as they walked with their God. And the people would be invited into that family, that kingdom. And we see that again And as Jesus taught this, uh, that God's goal is that every person made in his image would enter into his family. But that's a choice we have. And so in the book of Nehemiah, we see this incredible leader who God raises up, who sees the devastation, who cries out to God, who feels the pain between what is and what could be or should be, how God made things to be who prays and seeks God, and then volunteers himself to go on this mission to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem so that it could be the light God intended it to be. And we see this miraculous movement of God. People sense it because uh, these walls that had uh, been destroyed and burnt down for for years and years and years and years are going to get rebuilt by the people of God in 52 days. Everybody took notice. It was unbelievable that this would happen. So Nehemiah rebuilds the walls and we think, oh, that's great. That's done. But the walls were a reflection of the state of the people. The broken walls were a a picture or, or a reflection of the broken people. And so, yes, the walls have been rebuilt, but now God's going to focus on 
in Nehemiah 8 through 13, rebuilding the people of God. The walls of God are rebuilt. And Nehemiah says at the end of 7, hey, these walls have been rebuilt so we could return and worship God as his people again. And so now it's going to turn to the worship of God and, and the renewal of God's people. And, um, and, uh, and so we're going to talk about the essential ingredient of renewal today. But first, I want to tell you about a a story I came across that impacted me so deeply. Um, I heard it a couple decades ago, but uh, it was in the 70s. And there was this um, country uh, that had gone through a massive famine, years of famine and no rain. And this was, and this was an agrarian people group. They, they grew crops and um, they were, had to be relocated. And all these relief organizations were coming in from all over the world. And this group uh, uh, was relocated to Halba, this place called Halba. And, um, and there was a river that went through this, this camp. And people were starving to death. There wasn't a relief. And the director of that camp taught the children to go to this river and fish. The, this, this people group had never fished before in their lives. And they taught, they taught the, these um, children to fish. And in this river, it was roiling with tilapia, a fast-growing species. And once they learned how to fish, uh, this whole group that was relocated suddenly was renourished and revived. But here was the point that struck me so much. Here was these, there are people who were literally within a stone's throw of this river who were starving to death when within eye shot, was the most well-stocked source of food in, the, in most of the country. They died within a, a short walk of all the food they could ever hope for, but they'd never eaten fish. And it reminds me a lot about uh, Nehemiah's day. Here's the people of God, and, and they've been 70 years in captivity, and, um, but they've never really tasted the word of God. They, they've lost sight of the word of God and, 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 and they're dying and they're experiencing famine. Physically, they were having some food problems, but spiritually, they're having a huge food problem and they're, they're dying spiritually within uh, eye shot of a well-stocked temple in the word of God. The prophet Amos predicted this. He said uh, there would be a famine and he said, and, and it, Amos 8, 11, not a famine of food or a thirst of, for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And the Israelite people were spiritually starving to death within sight of the food source God had given them. Jesus said, humanity does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're told that the word of God is spiritual nourishment and nutrient. For us. And isn't that the case in the United States? The United States has more Bibles per person than any other country in the world. How many people are dying within eyeshot of a Bible that's probably in their house, but unopened and uh, unused? And, and because of that, people are missing this source of food. So now we're going to see in Nehemiah 8, as I said, Nehemiah 1 through 7, rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah 8 through 13, rebuilding the people. Because Ezra and Nehemiah, and Ezra's going to come into the picture here, both know if we don't get people the word of God uh, and help them feed on the word of God, they're, they're still going to stay spiritually dead. But I want you to see something because a revival breaks out, renewal breaks out as people receive the word of God. And it starts with reading God's word 
and responding to God's word. This is the essential ingredient of renewal, reading God's word, but not just reading it, responding to it. And uh, that's my prayer in our church, that we're going to have a fresh hunger for the word of God. And we're not just going to hear it and let it just kind of float by, but we're really going to receive it and respond to it. And that's my prayer for me and, and, and for you. And so revival starts when the spirit of God works through the word of God in the lives of the people of God. And it brings renewal. And it's always the word and spirit. It's neither one nor the other. And if we just have one, we can have a lot of emotionalism without any substance. And if we just have the word of God, but we don't let the spirit of God's not energizing that, we're not responding to it, it can just become dead legalism. And so let's, let's, let's uh, start off in, in uh, Nehemiah 8.1. It's the Jewish New Year, and they're ready for a new year. They're ready for a fresh start. And it says, all the people assembled with one accord in the square before the water gate. And this is pretty interesting because in my generation, Watergate is associated with a societal collapse, the Watergate scandal. But in the Bible, it's uh, connected to societal revival. This is going to be the Watergate revival. That's what I'm naming it. or That's what it's called. Okay, that's what I'm calling it. Anyway, they told Ezra the teacher to bring the law. <laughs> so look at this. They told Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. So, you know, they're... We want the Pentateuch. Yes, we do. We want the Pentateuch. How about you? You know, <laughs> that's the name for the first five books. Okay. They're, you know, so they're like, please bring out the word which the Lord had commanded Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. The younger kids were not here. And actually that's a uh, this is a little bit of a picture of kids ministry and, and you know, age appropriate. And so ba young children were, were, uh, were not present, but everyone who was able to understand was here. And I want you to notice the shift here. This is really important. Nehemiah is a political leader. He's rebuilding the walls. He's the governor. Now Ezra comes into the picture and he, he brings some spiritual leadership. And this is a beautiful picture of the priesthood of all believers. And there's a lot of names in this chapter I'm not going to read. I probably should. But it just shows you this collective uh, gifts of the whole people of God coming to minister. And when that happens, how, how good fruit comes out of this. And so Ezra is going to kind of take the forefront here. Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. Ezra's going to read the word of God, and this is going to help rebuild the people. And he is a teacher of the law and a priest. And as a teacher of the law, he shares the word of God, which we all need. And it helps people understand God's character and his will and his ways and his purposes. So the teacher shares the word with the people. The priest goes to the temple and represents the people before God. And this is that beautiful conduit we see here. As, as a teacher and a priest, he goes uh, to uh, people on behalf of God with the word. And as a priest, he goes to God on behalf of people. And that's all of us are meant to be the priesthood of all believers, we all fill that role. God wants us to be that conduit. And so Nehemiah and Ezra know if the people aren't spiritually revived, there's not going to be any hope. And, uh, and, and they're still living in spiritual darkness, but God's about to flip a light switch. So let's look at the Watergate revival. And it starts when people, first of all, read the word attentively. Look at what it says. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. 
as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened, what's that word? Attentively to the book of the law. Six hours. They're hearing the word of God for six hours. When's the last time you sat and, and, and heard the word of God for, for that long? This is representing the deep hunger God's people have for God's word. They had not been, they hadn't been exposed to this and they're, they're longing for it. And, and as they're listening, they're attentive because it just shows their lack of awareness, their lack of knowledge about God and about life and how much they needed answers. And, you know, they're simply crying out for God and his word. And one of the questions I want to say is how do we get attentive before the word of God? I'll just give you a couple of suggestions. One thing is, you know, when we're together together as a group, you know, turning your cell phone off or, or, you know, just putting it away somewhere where you can't get distracted. One of the things I do when I read the word of God is I underline and I take notes. And, um, and one of the reasons I take notes is because when I write things down, it helps me think more deeply about it and thoughtfully about it. And, I'll, and I have friends who scribe the Bible. And I've, I've learned to do this. I'll, if I want to memorize a verse or think about it or meditate on it, I'll write it out in my journal. And I'll write it out again. And I'll just be thinking about what do each of these words mean? It helps me pay attention. How do you pay attention to the word of God? And then they read it passionately. And I don't even know if I like this word. It's, this is, it's, it feels inadequate. And for us, it seems like a very emotional word. But it's beyond emotion. It's this worshipful reading of the word of God. It says, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And this is a beautiful picture to me of how they elevate the word of God. And this is a beautiful picture to me of how, how they give God's word maximum opportunity for success. They elevate it so that all the people can hear it. So all the people can see Ezra. And, and, um, and they're trying to make that word successful. And that's part of how, what we do when we try to get rid of distractions and create an environment where we can really pay attention. It says, Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I want you to see the full, uh, uh, whole uh, being um, responsiveness to the word of God here. This is part of what I mean by being, so they listen with their ears. I want you to see the physicality of this. And then they, they lift up, they stand because it shows reverence for the word of God. And they lift up their hands, which is a reflection of being dependent on God. And, and then they, um, uh, and then they use their mouths and they praise God and they say, amen, amen. Well, God is so good. And they worship God with their mouths and then they bow down and it's a sign of their humility before the word of God. And, and this is, this is a picture of the physicality is a picture of our hearts, right? It's, that's what it's intended to be. So their, their hearts are prepared. And Jesus talks about this in, um, uh, in, in the New Testament, he talks about this, the word of God is a seed and there's all, different kinds of soil and some soil is hard. And so someone can hear the word of God and not respond to it at all. And others can hear the word of God and respond to it because their hearts are ready. And this is a picture of the people's hearts being ready. They're hungry. They're bowing down before God. They're worshiping him. They're like, we're here to meet with you, God. And we live in a time today. And that, this is I just got to say this. 
where we think we stand above the word. You know, I, I decide I don't like what it says, or I don't know if I believe scripture, or I take what I like and I, and I leave what I don't like, like a spiritual buffet. And we don't stand over the word of God. We submit to the word of God. That's how it's des we're designed to live. And, um, you know, because again, people will say all the time, well, uh, I don't view the word of God like that, or I'm not sure that, that it was maybe true then, but it's not true now. Or maybe God changed his mind and um, uh, that was true for them. It's not true for me. <laughs> and uh, the, the truth is we need to humbly submit to the word of God and let it speak into our lives. So as we open this and as they're opening this, I want us to see they read it attentively. They read it passionately. So if you're reading the word of God without reverencing the word of God, you won't experience renewal. And that's part of what's happened. These, their, their hearts are, are ready and they're praising God and giving, thanking him. And then they read the word intelligently. The Levites, and, and there's this whole group again, I, I, I'm going to list out, um, is... Um, uh, they instructed the people. So Ezra is above reading the word, right? And then they're stopping. And it says, uh, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. This is so powerful. This is gold right here. Uh, what a great statement of how learning God's word ought to be. And I want you to see this because this this pattern hasn't gone away. And a key goal of, of uh, God's people is, uh, and, and us understand the word of God, is to learn to think like God. You and I were made in the image of God. Where he calls us into this relationship, we become children of God. And, and we're meant to um, become like him in our character. So how do we do it? We need to learn about who God is. And that's what they're doing and his ways of doing things and his purposes. And when you know God, you begin to understand yourself because you were made in his image. And you might go, well, I'm really far from that. But this gives you a picture of who God made you to be and what you and I were meant to be. Because see, these people, even though they were made in the image of God, their minds and hearts were shaped by a culture that, where God wasn't present, that was void of God. And so now they had to have the word of God to, to inform them and, and guide them and direct them in a fresh way so that they could become, listen to this, who they were truly meant to be. God's not trying to make you someone else. God's trying to make you truly you. But you can't know that unless you know God because you're meant to, you were made in his image. And so what are they doing here? I want you to see this. They're doing large group ministry. The whole assembly is present, Ezra's reading, and then they're breaking up into small groups. And they're talking about the word. And the Levites are explaining it to them. They're summarizing it. And, um, and then they're asking questions to, to understand the meaning so that they're walking away, not just with what it says, but what it means and how they can obey it and respond to it. And this is such a beautiful picture. And this is how the New Testament uh, tells us to live as well. We see this reflected in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, you see temple courts ministry, which is the larger assembly gathered. And then they're breaking up and they're having um, smaller groups house in house-to-house -house ministry. And this is both large and small group are essential. They do different things for us and, uh, and, they, and they meet our needs in different ways. And so Sunday morning at Life Church is the large group gathering. We're hearing the word of God together. We're worshiping God. Uh, we're celebrating 
who he is and we're trying to respond to God. And then we have small groups all over the area where you can learn and ask questions and delve deeper and talk with people about the word. And we need both of these. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to get in a small group or you want more information about that, there's a connection card online or digital connection card. Fill that out. Let us know. We have groups that meet in person and we have groups that will meet on Zoom. And you can connect with us over that. Now, the next verse I want us to see is where we take the turn because we can read it, but unless we respond to it, it will not change our lives. So the Watergate revival uh, starts when they read the word, but then they respond to it. And I want you to see these three different ways they respond to the word of God. The first thing is they respond with weeping, which doesn't sound right, but you'll see in a minute why. It says in verse nine, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who are instructing the people. So the people are hearing the word of God. They bow down before the word of God. And, and they said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why are they weeping? Well, they're convicted. They're hearing God's will and God's ways and, his, and they know they've broken God's law. And, and here's the thing. We don't really break God's law. God's law breaks us. I was watching this show and this guy, this strong guy who looked, you know, really was, was beating against this stone wall with his fists, smashing him and his fists were becoming a pulp. It was almost too hard to watch, right? And the, here's the question. Did he break the wall or did the wall break him? The wall broke him. And, and, and the word of God is this, this, this true uh, foundation that we, we build our lives on, that, that guides us, that directs us, that feeds us. And they're hearing all these ways. This is the gap here. They, they just knew how they were living and then they were seeing how they were meant to live and how God made them to live. And they, they were feeling the pain of the gap again. Oh my gosh, this is, I, this is the life God created me for and this is how I'm living. And that gap is pain. It always creates pain. And so, and, and so when I see how God made me to live and I don't live that way, sin brings death and, and it's a form of death, right? But here's the beauty of the weeping is there's this sense of conviction. And when God convicts us, it's not to crush us, but it's to renew us. It's a sign God's working. And actually you're going to see Ezra and Nehemiah respond and help people see that, but they're seeing that gap. And they realize they've been living in this spiritual wasteland, ignorant of God. And how many years have they wasted? And how many years has the worm eaten? Has, has the enemy eaten away from their lives? Because they didn't understand what they were doing. And they're convicted of their own sins, so they wept. And over the years, I, it's been interesting. But I've had people who come to church or come back to church and, uh, and, and, and tell me, I, you know, I don't know why, but every time I come to church and I start sitting in the service, I just start crying. And I... I don't know why. I wish I could stop. And I always tell people, don't stop. That's a sign God's working in your heart. The, the word of God is doing something in your heart and you need to not turn away from it, but turn toward it and let God do his work. This is the purifying work of God that he does in our lives. And this is what Hebrews says. This is what the New Testament says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
And when we really lay ourselves open before God's word in his great, great, great love for us, he shows us what's wrong with our lives. Not so he can ruin our lives, but so he can renew our lives. That's the whole point of Nehemiah. Our lives are like those walls, a ruin. And God's like, I have a better way for you. I want to rebuild you. I want to renew you. And that's part of what that conviction brings if we respond to it and and go with God. And then we repent. And that's part of how renewal happens is a repentance is this recognition of my sin. And then I've gone against God's ways. And then I turn toward God and start to move with him in obedience. So without repentance, we can't really experience the joy and renewal God has. And so they respond with weeping, but then they respond with joy. Look at what it says. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow. That's a powerful verse. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. The response to the word of God is joy when we understand and we begin to obey. And the joy of the Lord is a fruit of that response. When we start living God's ways, we start experiencing more and more joy. But I want to say this about fellowship and community. This is why we're not meant to live alone. Nehemiah brings a really timely word as a spiritual leader to the people. They could have let that conviction crush them and decimate them. But he, he interprets that for him and he brings encouragement. He goes, look, yes, there's conviction of sin, but this is God working in your life and God is bringing refreshment and renewal in your life. And I want you now to stop that and turn toward God. You're walking in obedience and, and I want you to experience the joy God has for you because this day is holy. We were living in a broken place, in a sinful place, and we've repented and we're turning and now we're walking with God and let's re- we're going to rejoice in that. And that's why we need encouragement. We need fellowship. If we sit alone, we're going to stay devastated, despairing, and depressed. And that's what Satan wants for you and for me. But when we're together with one another, we can encourage one another, as scripture says, toward love and good works. And that's what Nehemiah does here. But there's joy because they're responding to the word of God. They've experienced forgiveness and the grace and love of God, and they have joy in their lives. And the result is strength. And that's really a powerful thought, um, that we're strengthened when we obey God's word, and his joy gives us strength. That obedience gives us strength. And the last thing is this, they respond with obedience. So the people went out, and I'm not going to read that next section, it's for tell me more, but they obeyed. What they did is they read the word of God and they responded to it. They, and, and that's what our goal is. They found greater joy in obedience. And this is always the key to spiritual revival, to life with God. Everything else won't matter, won't make a difference until we obey and put it into practice. And as they read God's word and heard God's word, they immediately went and responded to it. And that's one of the things we need to do with scripture. As you read the Bible every day, you say, okay, God, what do you want me to know or understand about you, 
about myself, about life. And then what do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? That's obedience. How should this change my life? And people who have a second act, this is what they do. They read and respond to God's word. And they respond to it with repentance and with joy and with obedience. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. And as you think about obedience, I want to just say this. I encourage you just to start reading God's word. And, um, you you know, if you don't have a Bible, go download the Bible in one year. That's a great app or the version. They're both excellent and you can, they're free apps and you can download them. And, um, and you just start reading a little bit every day and then ask those two questions. Lord, what do you want me to know? What does this mean? And what do you want me to do? And how can I obey that? And that simple step of obedience will help you move toward a place of renewal and revival and flourishing. So as we close, I want to um, have you understand this. God wants spiritual revival for you. This is his desire for you. And he's actually laying out exactly a beautiful narrative picture of how we do that. We read God's word. We take it in attentively, worshipfully, passionately, intelligently. We think about it. We talk about it with others. And then we respond to it. And we repent where we need to repent and feel, and, and then we uh, let that word bring joy into our lives because we know God has a plan for us and it's a good plan. And, and then we obey and God brings renewal. This is the key ingredient of renewal. So as we close, I want to ask a couple questions. The Israelites were weeping over their sin. Is there sin in your life you need to repent of today? When God puts his finger on that sin, it's to save you, not to destroy you. But he's saying, let that thing go. Is there something you need to repent over today? God can, you can leave here today fresh with God. The Israelites were in small groups and they're understanding God's word together. Are you in a group? And if not, uh, what's keeping you from that? There's, I would, I've told people over the years, I've had more ex- growth in a small group than I have in any other environment uh, because it's interactive and you're looking at God's word and then you're talking about how can I live this and obey this in my life? And then we're praying for one another and, and prayer brings power and support and supply. And maybe you know God's word really well. Maybe you're sitting out there going, yeah, I, I'm pretty good. I know this. Is God calling you to be like the Levites? And maybe it's time for you to lead a group, not just be in a group and step up and be a part of discipling others. And lastly, uh, the real thing that sparked revival was obedience to God's word. Are you wholeheartedly obeying God's word today? Or is there an area of your life where you know you're not? Like, for example, God's word tells us that Jesus said the two most important commands are that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does it mean for you to love God today? Well, one thing Jesus said is, if you love me, you'll obey me. So obviously obeying his word. But what does it look like for you to love? Maybe it's time to just take a minute and worship God and say, Lord, I love you. And then he said, love one another as you love yourself, that we love one another. What does it look like to love those closest around you? What would it mean for you to love your child today in a very practical way? How would they experience love today? And if, you're, and if you're a child, what would it look like for you to love your parent today or someone else close to you? That's the questions we ask that help us truly live in to obeying God's word. And you can do this. God will help you do this and we'll help you do this.
So let's close right here. Let's be committed to reading the word this week. And I'm reading Nehemiah. I'm working through Nehemiah and it's been great. I'm loving it. And we're going to be looking at it and talking a little bit about it. Tell me more. We might even go back to the Sermon on the Mount because I've been thinking about obedience and those things. And then how do you respond? How does God want you to respond to his word today, right now? And I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never trusted in Christ, the reason God has you here is to know he's inviting you. He loves you. He created you for a relationship with himself. And he wants you to turn away from all those ways that have brought harm and ruin in your life and find renewal in him. And you can do that today. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> thank you for your love. Lord, your, your scripture tells us that you're the word of God, that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord Jesus, that's you. And, and we sometimes separate the word of God from the person of God. And that's a mistake that, Lord, your word is an extension, an expression of who you are. And your word tells us you love us because you tell us you love us. That's how you communicate. And so, Lord, there are those among us today who've never trusted in you. They've never uh, said yes to a relationship with you. And if that's you, I just want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I confess that uh, I, this sin has plagued my life and ruined my life. And I've chosen a lot of things that go against you and against your word. And I realize that's brought ruin. And I'm turning toward you now. I'm, I'm admitting I, and recognizing my sin that you give us your word for our flourishing and our good. And when we re reject it, we reject life. We reject your goodness. And I want to stop doing that. I want to turn toward you. Please, I'm, I'm repenting and turning toward you, and I'm asking you to forgive my sins and bring refreshing and rule. I'm asking you to come into my life and put your Holy Spirit in my heart. I want to be your child. Help me to follow you and walk with you. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would experience revival. And we often think of revival as a term that means uh, a sweaty preacher in a hot tent preaching to people who don't know you and, uh, and converting people. And that's actually not what it means. Revival, Lord, you know, means to live again. It's for people who lived at one point and have lost that life. And you bring, you, you help them live again. And so help us to live again as we read your word today, as we respond to your word, and as we walk in faith with your people, Lord, and walk in your ways together. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so great being with you this morning, and uh, I hope to see you soon. If you made a commitment or recommitment or you want more information, would you please just click on that button on your screen that allows you to message us and uh, allows us to communicate back with you. Hope to see you soon. God bless.